Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And my name is Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode 164. Ryan, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yes, it is. That's because today is Christmas Day. If you're listening to this, the day... Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Or happy holidays. And happy holidays. And happy holidays. And happy new year. And happy old year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ryan, it's. Uh, I figured today would be the, the best time for us to sort of look backward just in the rear view for a second. Mm-hmm. We don't like to live in the rear view mirror. No. If you keep looking at the rear view and driving forward, then... You're going you're gonna to crash. I saw it happen yesterday. I was uh, on La Cienega Boulevard, and there was a guy who was looking up in the rear view because someone was honking at him behind him, mm. but he was continuing to move forward. Yeah. And then, bam! He really ran into someone? Yeah, ran right. I mean, in, oh, wow. it was like a loud, it, it, just their bu- their bumpers were scuffed, and I don't even want to scuff my bumper. But, uh, so living in the rear view is... Uh, well, I mean, is, this is, we're going in the rear view mirror with this episode, but this isn't a good way. We're not focusing on, you know, mistakes we've made. We're not, you know, harboring resentment. We're not going over a list of people that we hate in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different podcast. I'll put my list away. <laughs> no, you, you know what? You, you're right. Um, but I think it's actually important to look back in the rear view, learn lessons from the past, and, and, and sort of reflect on on the year that we've had. You know, for me, it was it was the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. Uh, quite literally. It was it was sort of the uh, this cyclical roller coaster of a year for me health-wise. Mm. It started off in a valley. Um, in fact, it was just over a year ago. You remember uh, we were in Washington, D.C., and I had to miss the event and was essentially yeah. hospitalized. Um, and uh, from there... Um, it's because I was going through all this detox. I was um, detoxing from mercury, and I won't go into all my laundry list of health issues I've had. If you want to listen to that, we did a great podcast with my doctors, episode 138, called Health Problems. You can dive into how I fixed a lot of the health problems toward the end of last year and the beginning of this year. I was detoxing from mercury and also from C. diff, and going through that, I started to feel better and better and better after you know being in, in that valley and in fact uh I, I would argue that july and august this summer were two of the best months i've ever had in my life yeah uh we went on tour we went on the simply southern tour i remember having so much energy after fixing my health and then changing my diet it was radically simplified all i was eating was was meat and greens and then um and then come september i reintroduced some carbs into my diet and the bacteria and the fungus in my gut, particularly in my small intestine, went wild. And I uh, just discovered recently, after doing about $1,000 worth of tests, mm. that uh, I have SIBO, mm. which is uh, a bacterial overgrowth in, in the small intestine. Mm. And um, I am currently working through you know, eradicating it. But man, it has been a difficult three months uh we went to brazil in september and ever since coming back from there 
I've spent a lot of time in the bathroom. Mm. It's become my my second office. I know you thought you thought maybe you picked something up in Brazil, but I thought I had a like a like a, like a parasite. parasite or something. Yeah. So so what is going? So what is happening with you right now? It has nothing to do with going to Brazil, though. Correct? We don't think so. Okay. No, it, it was uh, it was a heck of a coincidence. Yeah. Um, but there were other coincidences, you know, things that coincided with with that. Yeah. And uh, and so it was a bit of a roller coaster year for me. And we'll talk more about that, as because uh, I don't have all the solutions right now. I'm I'm, I'm on a ninety day protocol to fix this SIBO, to fix this gut mm-hmm. stuff, but it is affecting me negatively. Um, it is really difficult to deal with. But the good news is I have a plan to fix it. I'm working with my doctors, and uh, I have this whole 90-day routine of, uh, well, we'll get into it later. But all that to say, the year itself has been challenging for me health-wise, but it's also been outstanding for me health-wise. Yeah. And it's easy to look back and say, oh, here are all the bad things that happen. Mm. It's like if someone tweets you, and they're like, oh, Ryan, I hate your haircut or whatever. <laughs> no one would ever say such a thing. But okay, in your fantasy world where <laughs> yeah, someone hates my haircut. That's an alternate universe. <laughs> um, uh, in this fantasy world, you know, you have you have this one person and that sticks with you. But mm. all the outstanding things that happen all of a sudden dissipate when something negative happens. Yeah. And so I think it's important when we look back to not just look back and say, oh, my God, this was awful. But look back and say, wow. I really learned a lot from having this outstanding summer where I felt in peak physical health. And the good news is I now have a baseline that I know I can get back to. And and to me, that's actually encouraging because uh, despair means there is no hope for the future. But if I look back, I can just peek in the rear view and say, oh, there's the hope right there but when we're looking back on on this year as well um you and i had a creative year uh, a productive year creatively yeah and i felt like we grew a lot in terms of this podcast not just in size of the audience which is great but how you and i really measure growth is how much did we grow individually Mm. and how much did we learn by by doing this podcast we we started out i think we started the year around it was episode 103 or something like that. So we, we've done over 60 episodes for the podcast, but then another 70 plus for the Patreon podcast yeah. as well. So uh, for the folks who are Patreon subscribers, we, we do a private podcast every week. In fact, this week we're going to do Ask the Minimalists Anything. You're going to do an audio episode of Ask the Minimalists Anything so that you, um, well, you you asked us a bunch of questions. We upvoted your questions and we answered all of those. So you can check that out over at theminimalists.com slash support. But what I was hoping to do today, Ryan, was look back in the rear view at some of our favorite moments of 2018. So many, man. I, when you sent me, uh, I don't know if it was an email or text, but you asked me like, Hey, what text mail? What do you, (laughs) what do you, what are your favorite episodes? And there's a lot to choose from, man. I know, and I was so many to choose from. I was overwhelmed. I was looking at this list. I'm like, that one's my favorite, and that one's my favorite, and that one's my favorite. And this is actually one of the 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 problems when we start simplifying our lives, and people get overwhelmed. We, you know, we always Mm -hmm. say that the average American household has 300,000 items in it, and people like, I don't know where to start because that's my favorite thing, and that's my favorite thing, and that's my favorite thing. Can't let go of that. And for me. Um, if we did 60 episodes this year, I had about 45 favorites. Right. 
And so here Same. are our 45 episodes from this year. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here, yeah, here's 90 hours <laughs> worth of uh, a mashup of uh, yeah this year's podcast. 90 hours of minimalism. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, well. uh, yeah, it's, I remember radio stations would do that. Coming up next, it's three hours of hits from the 90s. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about some of your f- uh, favorites. I know you picked two for this episode mm-hmm. and I picked two. Why don't we dive into this first episode here, Ryan? We... we uh, I think we both agreed unanimously this is in our top three of all time. Yeah. It was episode 155. The episode was called Love with, mm-hmm. with Peter Rollins. What, what what stood out to you about that episode? I just, I really like, uh, I just like Peter in general, like having him on as a guest and helping answer questions. I just felt like, especially when it comes to love, because that is his field mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is, you know, kind of studying love and and you know amongst other things but but just having him here in the studio answering questions i felt like we had some really really awesome conversation it's funny though because i'm thinking about like my favorite moments from the year are Mm. both are both patreon episodes so we had the um we had peter on for uh for the ps for the postscript question that we do for patreon and we had this really awesome conversation about my uh, relationship with my dad and uh, and and love essentially and and how that kind of works between my father and I. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like it was a nice little therapy session for me, man. It was great. <laughs> you and, know what I like about the the Patreon episodes? I mean, I, I like doing the regular podcast. I love having this format and answering the questions. But with the the Patreon stuff that we do, and we do you know a bonus episode every week, so essentially we do a second episode every week of, of the podcast, mm-hmm. and they tend to be shorter episodes or, or more attenuated. But we're able to let our hair down a little bit, and, and mm-hmm. we're, we're not constrained by the hundreds of thousands or millions of people who might hear an episode. Yeah. It's like, oh, these are the people who actually get us. These yeah. are our true supporters. What what Kevin Kelly would have called... Uh, um, true fans? Yeah, yeah. Or, or who was it? Ken Blanchard said raving fans. Mm. And, uh, and, and to me... The people who are supporting us on Patreon, we really appreciate you, but also we show that appreciation by by having these really candid and frank conversations yeah. that are more difficult to have in public because you have all that scrutiny of hundreds of thousands of people and it's easy to... Yeah, to, to take something out of context. But with uh, the Patreon folks, the, I feel like those are the people who get us. Yeah. And well, I mean, we don't have to adhere to a format with the Patreon episodes. It's kind of us just having a normal conversation. It's not like, okay, here's our voicemail, here's our social media question, and here's our recommendation. It's uh, it's a little bit different each show. There's, there's For me, it's like, it's yeah. free we, form. Yeah, we get to let our hair down a little bit because we can, you know, freestyle a little bit more than than have that, that format that we're used to with every single podcast. If you beat box off freestyle tune in this week on patreon <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> lose no. all of our patreon supporters the, the other my other favorite moment was uh when that dude uh when austin came on stage in nashville oh yeah like that that was also a patreon episode like so i think like when i when i think about the feels because you know how i love the feels you love all the feels. i love all the feels man and uh yeah those two moments were were really really uh awesome for me why did you like the love episode what, what was it what was uh what about it was your favorite i felt like we it was a long episode wasn't it podcast sean the the it was like our longest almost three two or three hours i know it was over two right mm. and uh it felt like no time went by at all like you it 
the best episodes in the world for me is when when it just goes by and the clock is just way later yeah. than I thought it was. It's like the conversation is like effortless. Yeah. yeah. And so how about this? How about we listen to a snippet from the love episode, full snippet. We'll answer a question from love and then we'll come back, Ryan, and then we'll talk about my favorite episode of the year. And we've got a few other little things to talk about this year, including some added value for the end of the year. Perfect for Christmas time. Ryan and I both have an added value recommendation that I'm eager to talk to you about. Perfect for Christmas. Time. So it's, it is Christmas day right now. Yes. <laughs> so it, are they going to like, it, it's perfect for Christmas time because, because people have like this extra time. They're sitting around the house and, oh, like or they, got, or they, they want to go do to something with oh, their yeah, family absolutely. that they enjoy. It's was, a meaningful experience. So we've got some good added value coming up. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, here, here is a, a little, a little bit from, uh, well, we're going to answer a full question and have a conversation. This is from our love episode with Peter Rollins. Our next question is from Justin in Cleveland. There was a woman that I was in a relationship with who brought me immense value, and I loved her very dearly. Uh, but she broke up with me. So I wanted to know, when is it time to move on and say the relationship is over? And when is it still a time to continue to pursue that relationship? So, so yeah, it's interesting. The, the again, the language that he's using to posit this question. So this woman broke up with him, and of course, I just want to I want to put this uh, caveat out there. I mean, obviously, no is no. And if someone breaks up with you, and they and that you, they don't owe you anything. They don't owe you an explanation. Uh, they don't owe you an hour of their time to to let's try to work this out. They don't owe you. I totally agree. together. When someone tells you no, you should respect it. Yeah. Absolutely. Now that said, also Justin, uh, sorry for your loss. Like this is obviously a huge loss for him. So I want to empathize a little bit with him. Yeah, and and um, I, I think that the the other language that he used here is when is it time to move on? And he used give up. And mm-hmm. and I would just say that now is the time to move forward. Now that, does that mean moving on or giving up? I, I don't know. Um, Pete, I heard you talk about this once. Like sometimes when when you get into an argument with your significant other, and Someone says, get out of here. They don't actually mean get out of here sometimes, yeah. too. There's, uh, the, there is the literal meaning, but then there is the sort of, the, the, there is a, a, a figurative meaning behind get out of here. It also mm-hmm. means stay and, and let's work this out in yeah. a way. Yeah. No, yeah. And language is a, a complicated thing. And Justin, I, you know, I've been in a similar place and, you know, so many of us have been and it is deeply devastating. Um, the, one of the things I would say is what the danger that happens when you break up with someone is that uh, the very breaking up changes the dynamic to such an extent that you start to fantasize that the other person could fix everything. Mm. So what happens is often when a breakup happens, the person isn't just somebody really nice that you could have had a good life with. The person starts to become in your unconscious fantasies the one that would fix you entirely the one that, yeah. i think that that's the key too. our, yeah. our friend colin wright has a great book called some thoughts about relationships and uh he has these different like chapters in there and one of them is about not looking for the one like, like the the, you know, the the whole jerry Maguire thing you complete me yeah, is yeah. like yeah, uh, in fact i think in the book he's he, he's like you want to look for the person that incompletes you yes mm-hmm. that that, that yeah. you incomplete me is is the more realistic yeah. Um, yeah because really when you say you complete me it's you complete me 
for right now. Well, it, like, but, but also <laughs> it, it, it presupposes that you are not a whole person by yourself and that you need someone else in order to fill mm. in this sort of this inadequacy that you yeah. currently contain. And I, I, like, I'm very existential, so I avoid even the wholeness words, but we don't really have to get into that. But here, here's the problem. I would say that psychoanalytically, we are all very susceptible to the notion of the one. Um, mm. You see it in philosophy, the one is the absolute or God. Uh, in LA, there's a tyranny of happiness. The, oh the, the one is fame or money or looks. Um, yeah. So we are very prone to it. And um, the reasons are uh, because it's what's called the drive. Uh, we have this drive for something that will complete us. We all have that temptation. Um, and so in, in this environment for Justin, this woman can take that spot and it's there's no easy way out except sometimes it'll be a bit of a bit of psychotherapy or whatever but eventually you get to the point of going maybe it would have been a good relationship maybe it would have been a great relationship maybe we would have had a wonderful life together mm. but that but it wouldn't have completed you Right. That, that what's happened is she's become an idol. She's become a, um, a figure that is so absolute that you will not be able to enjoy your life. So what's the alternative to an idol then? Yeah, yeah, kind of in one sense to break the idol, very gradually you kind of need to break this fantasy of the one. And it's very hard to do, um, to break, but to break this fantasy. And it, it does mean for Justin, he may, as, as I say, go, She's amazing. That would have been fantastic. Mm -hmm. But it's also going, but you know what? Um, I have other possibilities, other life opportunities, other things will open up. Mm. But it, it can take years to to get to that point. You know, it's really, it's really, really tough. Yeah. Um, and because, because you're not consciously making the person the one, you're unconsciously doing it. So no matter how much you consciously try to not do it, mm. you're fighting your unconscious and your unconscious is much stronger than your conscience. Um, uh, now, what about this language of, of, of giving up? I mean, the, the thing, I, I remember a, a particular relationship I was in. Um, it was with the, the woman who threw scissors at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we won't go into any details, but there was a time where we got into, like, I, I'm not prone to fighting. I'm, and I'm also, I take things very literally when, you, you know, she's like, you know, get the F out of here. And I'm like, okay, I'm walking out. She's like, where are you going? And I'm yeah. like, you just told me to leave. Like the scissors at me. Yeah. yeah, I'm leaving. <clears throat> this is before the the, the scissors oh, incident yeah. ended everything. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's like get out of here. And I'm like, okay, like I respect what you're saying. Goodbye. And and uh, then she's like, well, where the hell are you going? Well, it's funny because like what she and I, I I know who you're talking about in their personality. Uh -huh. And you know she might have thrown that out there. Get out of here. But really, she wanted you to fight for her yeah. right which i don't know if that's healthy or not but there are some women who like to be chased there are like, men I, too yeah and i don't really i think men especially yeah uh, because we're, we can often be you know achiever and I, and for me like significance is a big drive for doing what i do right like and so i have to i have to keep that in mind like we, the question you asked earlier like who am i doing this for right mm. and and like who am I trying, if I were to reposit that question, who am I trying to be significant for? Yeah. And, and then why? Yeah. And uh, so, so maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Maybe we could talk about these sort of, um, 
the language behind the language. Yeah, I mean, and this this is the core of language itself. Whenever in America, uh, there's a philosopher, Shizak, talked about this, and I've experienced it myself. In America, you guys say, how are you doing? I think it's uh, whenever you go into a shop, people will say, are you having a good day or whatever? Mm-hmm. And at first, it's very weird because you're like, oh, well, thanks very much for asking. Well, I just had an argument with my mom and I was, oh, my sister's been <laughs> like, yeah, I was in hospital and, you know, and then you realize, no, they're not, a- they're not asking you that, right? I'm being an idiot. They're not asking you, how's your day going? They are showing that they're there, they're making a connection. Mm-hmm. So you guys from America know that, but I don't. Back in Ireland, we always refuse food twice before the third time. So if I come around to your house and you say, would you like some food? I'll always go, no. And then first time in America, I did this. I said, no, no, I couldn't eat a thing. And the person said, okay. And I'm like, how rude. Like, well, that is like oh, unbelievable. Right? for them not to offer yeah. three times. So you go like, you know, you go like, if you want some food, I go, no, no, I really couldn't. Oh, no, seriously, have a sandwich. No, no, I like, I honestly couldn't eat a thing. No, no, please have a sandwich. Yeah, I'm famished. Right. That's, that's the thing. So again, you, there's an interesting thing that in every society, there are the rules and the meta rules. Right. And when you go into a new society, you just know the rules. You don't know the meta rules. This is one way of always knowing if someone doesn't fit. So if you go to a high class dinner and the person does everything right, well, you know that they don't fit. Because to be in a high-class dinner is to know when to obey the rules and when to disobey the rules. Mm. If someone obeys all the rules, it's obvious that they're trying too hard. Mm. Right? Um, uh, so, you know, I, I actually, I have now, I've got lots of examples of that. But so even whenever I say to you, I want you to leave, I, yeah, I might be saying I want you to fight to stay if you're in a relationship. And, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to write the meta rules. The meta rules are these sh- this shared set of rules that a culture or a community kind of know, um, and that someone outside the community is completely oblivious to. Mm-hmm. And, and that um, community in this case could be just the two people. It could be just yes, that relationship. You might yeah. have your own meta rules. You have your own meta rules, and very um, you know so people who are very kind of psychotic or have psych- psychosis of sorts. They're very literal. Mm. So whenever they go to a party, they find the party completely bizarre because everybody is lying, you know, saying, saying, how are you doing? But they're not asking how you're doing. And mm. they're, you know, they're all of these, it, they, they know the rules, but they don't know the meta rules. And so parties are this weird space where everybody's lying. Mm. But of course, everybody's not lying. Right, it, it, right. People are just know the meta rules. Yeah. So that it's an interesting thing about language. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, oh, by the way, also indirect communication. Mm-hmm. The most direct way to speak is indirectly. I.e., you know, if, if I say to you, I want you to leave. Well, I want you to stay, but how do I find out? I only find out if I say I want you to stay, then you can stay even if you don't want to. Right. But if I say I want you to leave and you go, no, I really want to stay and work this out. Then I get to the truth. That's the difference between a parable and a command, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if I'm in the army and I say, it's cold in here, close the door, right? Close the door. You have to obey me. I'm giving you a command. You have to do it. Right. But if I go, oh, it's chilly in here. If you're a nice person, you'll close the door. If you're not, you won't, right? Mm-hmm. And so a parable speaks to the heart. A command speaks to the, you know, the, the mind. And a lot of language has to be parabolic. It has, in order to find out something, you... You, you can't speak directly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that in, in Justin's case here, I mean, you have to take literally if, if she's like, Hey, we're done. Um, but yeah. then also there, there, not knowing how long you've been in this relationship, there probably is some meta language here that you have to know whether or not you are, are moving on. Is this worth one more, 
one more shot? Is it worth one more discussion? And you have to respect if she says, well, no, I, I don't want to have any more discussions. I'm going to block your phone number or whatever, or mm-hmm. we just need some time apart. You can, you can still approach that literally in a way and say, hey, look, I, I realize what you're saying to me. Would it be possible to sit down? Would you be willing to? Those five words that change everything for me. Would you be willing to sit down with me for half an hour so we can talk about this rationally? And afterward, uh, if you want to walk away, totally understand that. There is a messiness, yeah. I mean, and it, it's difficult because we all know there's a messiness to relationships. And, and so there's a way if, if someone says, for example, no, we've broken up. There's a messiness there, but there's a way to respectfully do it. For example, you don't stalk. Stalking is where you basically then don't take no for an answer, right? Mm. But there's another thing, which is where you send a letter. And in the letter, you say, listen, this is how I feel. This is where we're at. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit messy because the person said, like, maybe I don't want to ever talk to you again. Mm. And you've disobeyed it because you've sent them a letter. Mm. That's not stalking. Stalking is where you are refusing the no. Mm. Writing a letter isn't isn't a bad thing. Oh. Now, writing a hundred letters. <laughs> if they, they don't Sending a hundred texts. Yes, yeah. you know, a hundred texts a month, you know. Even, um, even if that's the other person's expectation, then they have really poor expectations. Yes, where, yeah. where, for me, like the, the relationship I'm talking about where she was like, get the hell out of here. And I'm like, okay. Like that was honestly the best thing to do in retrospect as well, because like she literally wanted to stay and fight. And like, I, it, w- it was an unproductive. It wasn't like, stay and fight for me it was stay and fight with me yes. mm. there is there is a structure that's very painful for people who have it where they can only maintain their desire through conflict through jealousy through fighting and that can be very taxing on a relationship mm. unless the two people like it and then it kind of can work okay but sometimes somebody they have to generate um conflict uh, not because they like the conflict, but because the conflict is what allows them to maintain their desire. Mm-hmm. But if you're not that type of person, I'm not that type of person, then that type of relationship is just going to drain you. Um, whereas, whereas if actually two people, I know, I know a couple and they're very fiery and they're always arguing. All that, but it's like a, they both love it. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and go, oh my goodness, that would be exhausting to me. I wow. couldn't do it. But they... Um, they're in it for the fight. They're in it for the fight and they <laughs> love it. And they're like, and I honestly, first time I met them, I was like, oh, this is a bit this is a bit heavy they're having this conflict over mm, the dinner table yeah. and then as I hung out with them I was like oh no they love each other so much and they get so much out of this tension mm. <laughs> so and that's how they define passion in a way yeah. for them whereas for someone else for me that would wreck a relationship yeah. and, and so you have to figure out those own the the rules and the meta rules of a relationship in order for it to work so with Justin if he has already put in this this healthy pursuit you know um, and she's not giving you anything yeah. back. You, you got to let it go. But the other thing too, I want to tell Justin is, you know, really look at it because she may or may not have done this for him. I mean, he didn't say, but I'm going to assume she gave him a little bit of feedback. Like, no, I don't want to be with you because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, Either directly or indirectly. Right. And, and Justin can look in the mirror and then this is what I think he should do. He should look in the mirror and say, you know what? She's right. Uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, I really do need to, I do need to focus on. And that's an area that I've always had a, a, you know, a problem with. And then, you know, start, start having those, you know, short-term actions align with those long-term although, values and although, beliefs. Although it might not, be, it may just be that she didn't like those that is things. Correct. That's the thing. It's like, like, you know, generally one person's problem is another mm-hmm. person's desire. So for yeah. example, you know, if for argument's sake, somebody might say, you know, you're too, you know, you're too passionate or whatever. You fly off the handle too quickly. But then there's some people out there going, no, I want that. You so, it, yeah. you know, um, 
the, the, and the big thing for me for Justin is, is, and I guess he has let it go as in physically, as in, you know, but he, I'm guessing he's more talking emotionally. Mm -hmm. How do I let go in my mind? Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying is very important, which is, I think, to let yourself feel everything, to mm -hmm. let yourself feel, like, don't, don't run away into other pursuits into work or into things. There's a the beautiful phrase in, in graveyards which says gone but not forgotten, mm. which means someone's died, but um, you remember them. But in, in psychoanalysis, there's a notion of the forgotten but not gone, mm. which is where you try to forget something, but it remains within you and mm. it tears you apart. It's yeah. that psychological residue we were talking about yeah. a moment ago where, where you pretend it's not there. Yeah. You keep eating you know, the soup, even though there's a turd in it. You're like, this kind of tastes like shit, but you just keep eating it. <laughs> over and over and over <laughs> and you try to like pretend it's not there but it's it's going to be there yeah. until you deal so, with it so going with the sh you know the shit stew example uh -huh. um what, what what i was getting at is that with justin he, he can maybe look in his stew and be like you know what she's right there's a piece of shit in this stew uh -huh. or maybe he looks at it, it looks in the stew and he's like no this is actually really good stew yeah. and i really really love this stew and even though she feels that way like don't I guess what I'm really trying to give uh, advice to Justin here is like maybe there is something you have to change maybe, but but ultimately if if he can look in the mirror and be like no I really love who I am and you know I don't know why she broke up with me and whatever reasons it was and I really don't agree with her but I really do love who I am well then Justin you've got to find someone who loves you for who you are and she didn't love you for who you were that's but, okay yeah but but the issue is if he can't do that that's the that's the trick for me sometimes we can't, can't do what can't move on. Like, mm -hmm. And that's very important for us. It's, like, it's, just, it's not that you, because there's consciously, mm -hmm. you know, what you conscious advice, and then there's the what the unconscious wants. And that's why I'm always actually very skeptical of advice, because advice always talks to consciousness mm -hmm. when we have to shift the unconscious. And so how does, if, if Justin, for example, is, you know, he wants to move on, he wants to forget, but he can't, what does he do? Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where I think this trying to, um, just feel everything mm -hmm. and maybe get therapy where you're you talk through everything yeah. and you bring it all to the surface and that just that process can be enough to break that psychic link that yeah. I it might help you it might be the thing that helps you move on yeah. mm -hmm. by bringing it to the surface and and yes you're 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 letting it go in in, in one sense but uh, it, it will follow you for a while. And uh, or, or even as you cat, move forward. Killer cat and um, uh, burn all her stuff <laughs> and make it burn all the photographs. Of you. <laughs> That's the other option. So the other option is to try to feel your thoughts and mourn and move on. Or to project your thoughts. Yes, huh? yeah, yeah. Or just go crazy. All right, that was Love with Peter Rollins. We're back, and the, the episode that really stood out to me was another one of those conversations uh, we had with Canyon City, uh, Paul, oh, yeah. J Paul Johnson from Canyon City. Yeah. It was episode one, two, three, so of course that's why it's my favorite. It's the most OCD episode. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, we, we had this conversation with, uh, with Paul from Canyon City about hobbies, but it turned into something so much more. Like, when you turn your passion or your hobby into a job and it becomes the primary money become becomes the primary driver of doing that thing mm -hmm. how it often kills the passion in, in the thing that you once loved and so he's a musician and you know moved to the big music city of nashville and then basically started writing some jingles mm. and was like oh is this 
Is this what I love? Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like love to what me. What a way to kill your passion or love for something is force yourself to make money from it. I, or, make, I, or make money the primary driver. Like, that is, uh, yeah, it was a great conversation spe- uh, specifically with why putting a dollar amount on what you should make from what you love or what you're passionate about is a perfect recipe for killing that passion it absolutely is and he has he he has backed away from that as you'll hear Mm -hmm. in this snippet from from the episode and the way we connected with him was really interesting because uh i just loved his 2017 album called satellite Mm -hmm. i mean it was my favorite album of 2017 you know at the end of of each year uh in fact you can go to the minimalists.com slash sound and check out my end of the year um music lists uh, for the past i don't know seven eight years something like that but 2017 my favorite album of 2017 was Canyon City. It was a beautiful album for and, sure. And I just tweeted him like, hey, man, would, would you like to open up for us on the Less Is Now tour back in 2017? And he's like, I already have tickets to your Nashville show. Yeah, that was so funny. And then we brought him out this year for the Simply Southern tour in 2018. He opened up all those. He he did a cover version of Every Little Thing, Peter Doran's song. Mm-hmm. Uh, love Peter Doran and what he's done. And then... Paul just sort of did an Americanized version of it. It was beautiful. It was totally different, but mm-hmm. but equally beautiful. And what I learned is that you have to walk away from making money the primary driver. But also, you can't pretend that it's not part of the right. recipe. Right. And I think that's what Paul and Canyon City are doing well. He's got his third album that's coming out, I think, at the top of 2019. I cannot wait to yeah, hear it. It's going to be great. And uh, if, he, if he does indeed put it out and he's back out here in Los Angeles, we'll be happy to have him back on. But until then, how about we listen to a snippet from that Hobbies episode? Our first lightning round question is from Lucy. Lucy writes in, is it still a hobby if you make money from it? Hmm. So I think that that really echoes what you were talking about earlier, Paul. You don't have to have a pithy answer right away. We can maunder sure. a little bit and we'll, we'll get there eventually. My, uh, I, I borrowed the short, short uh, um, pithy answer, this minimal maxim here from Drake, and then I added to it. Nice. If the outcome is income... It's not a hobby. <laughs> and and I, I, really, I really think that quite often we get so caught up in money. So I have this little essay here from Derek Sivers. He is a, and you're going to love this book. It's so, he's one of my favorite writers. It's called The Mindset of Marketing Your Music, which I don't love the title. And I'm going to have to talk to him about the, the title of it. <laughs> I didn't know you knew Derek Sivers. We've been emailing back and forth. Um, uh, but he, he, uh, he's, super talented uh, as a writer he has a great book called anything you want and uh but he has this book that's sort of online i don't know if he's gonna he, he put it out a while ago but he's rewriting the whole thing but this chapter is about money and so he has these really short pithy chapters that are almost like zen like in in their in their brevity it's called shed your money taboos and by the way i think this book is more like a it says it, it's it's for marketing your music but i think it's the mindset of marketing for creative people really because it's it goes way beyond the music marketing yourself yeah yeah yeah, especially if you're a creative person or you're trying to create so so is that that your new title for it yeah i I gotta find something good because he has the best titles can you legally do that just change someone else's title yeah i've done it already (laughs) (laughs) i changed your title to uh coo <laughs> nice! <laughs> Finally got that C level. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Um, now this. Uh, so wow! It turns out this is happiness. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ryan just walked out right now. <laughs> right. He's never coming back. All right, so this is called Shed Your Money Taboos. Everyone has weird mental associations with money. They think the only way to make money is to take it away from others. They think that charging for your art means it was insincere and only for profit. But after being around the music business for 20 years and knowing thousands of musicians, I've learned this. The unhappiest musicians I've met are the ones who avoided the subject of money and now are desperately broke or need a draining day job. It may sound cool to say money doesn't matter, to say don't worry about it in the negotiation moment, but it leads to a really hard life. Then ultimately, your music suffers because you can't give it the time it needs and you haven't found an audience that values it. The happiest musicians I know are the ones who developed a valuable aspect of their skill and confidently charge a high price. There's a deep satisfaction when you know how valuable you are and the world agrees. Then it reinforces itself as you can focus on being the best artist you can be since you found an audience that rewards you well for it. So never underestimate the importance of making money. Let go of any taboos you have about it. Money is nothing more than a neutral exchange of value. If people give you money, it's proof that you're giving them something valuable in return. So by focusing on making money with your music, you're making sure it's valuable to others, not only to you. I think it's so important because here's the thing. The, the, my little pithy answer was like, if the outcome is income, then it's not a hobby. But that's, that's okay. Here's the thing. I don't want the primary driver of what I do, what I create to be money, but I think it's a part of the process is what Derek Sivers is saying here. Like, because otherwise, you, you are, uh, you, if, it's, if it's just part of the process, but it's not leading, then you're being honest about your need to, to earn a living from that thing. And that's okay. But if it becomes the primary driver, then we start to sacrifice. You were, you were hinting at that earlier. Like I had to get rid out of this recording contract because the primary driver for that record label or whomever was, Oh, we got to make this marketable. It has to be, it has to, we have to aggregate as many eyeballs as possible on this thing so that it, it sells enough units to make us the, the most amount of money possible. Yeah. Dude, I see your Derek Sivers essay, and I raise you a Seth Godin oh, essay. Go for it. This came out earlier today. It's fine. I didn't even think about reading this until you read that one. Um, it, the title of this <clears throat> is "I'm Not Selling Anything." This is so good. <laughs> this joke's gonna be so funny, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ella says that too. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the title of this is "I'm Not Selling Anything." Of course, you are. You're selling connection or forward motion. You're selling a new way of thinking, a better place to work, a chance to make a difference, or perhaps you're selling possibility, generosity, or sheer hard work. It might be that the selling you're doing costs time and effort, not money. But if you're trying to make change happen, then you're selling something. If you're not trying to make things better, why are you here? Mm. So sure, you're selling something. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say, I'm not selling something too aggressively, invading your space, stealing your attention and pushing you to do something that doesn't match your goals. Mm. That's probably true. At least I hope it is. 
I think that's the thing with like so we're we've gone out on tour. We, we really hope people show up. You're out on tour right now, Paul, and you want people to show up. You're you're selling yourself. You're selling this performance. You're selling your music. You hope people listen to it. But you're also asking for more than just money. Quite often, we're asking for the most precious resource: someone's attention. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Time it's, and attention. And dude, I gotta say, man, if I'm going out of my way to get someone's attention then I'm going to make the most of that time. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to otherwise you're wasting their time. Absolutely. What's your pithy answer, Ryan? My pithy answer is forcing yourself to make money from a hobby is a great way to kill your love for that hobby. Mm. And, uh, going back to what I was, uh, trying to get out of you earlier about, there was this point in your career, man, where you were forcing yourself to make money because you wanted to get out of that that nine to five job, which there's nothing wrong with wanting to sure. to do something different. But when we force ourselves to make money, we start to compromise a lot of things that uh, that we normally wouldn't compromise. Yeah, against. and in my case, the irony was that the thing that people connect with was is the thing that I was compromising to make it mm. a career. And so when I uh, basically what I did is I redefined success at that point. I'm like, it's okay. If I may have to do some things that I don't want to do to you know, have a roof over my head, but I don't want to lose the thing that I love anymore. And so it's okay if I have to do those things, but to protect that, my new definition of success in music is going to be working at Home Depot so that I have my nights free, I love uh, you know, to, to make music. And then that, I love that, that took all the pressure off to make commercially viable stuff. And then now, uh, I think it's the authenticity, the honesty that people end up connecting with. And I, I ended up writing differently and, uh, just sort of took that, that demon off my shoulder, you know, mm -hmm. um, when I was, when I was in the room, and, and, and it became my job after that. So, I mean, I still, although it's what, it's how I make money now, music is still my hobby too. It's, it's what I do, uh, you know, for, for feel like a lot of people will say, well, how do you, you know, how do you write a record a year? Or just, I'm like, it's literally what I do for fun. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I'll go home and I'll, it's cheaper than therapy a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, it's just, it's just one of the ways that I most enjoy myself. That's so true, man. It's funny. Cause I think about what, what you and I do, Josh and, I'm still having fun and uh, people, I know they look at us and they're like, man, the minimalists are so huge now and, and, and they're fame or wh whatever people tell us. But dude, I still fully expect one day we're going to wake up and the rug is just going to be like swept out from underneath. Oh, I have us. the same fear or uh, the people are going to be like, Oh, like, you know what? We, we you went know to what? the wrong door. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, no, we did not mean to buy that album. Yeah. <laughs> Can we return this? Oh, it went to the wrong address. Right. Sorry. I'm afraid that all of a sudden we're yeah. going to get like, you know, 100,000 books returned to us. <laughs> like a glitch but, in the system. But ultimately, though, uh, you know, going to the thing that Josh and I talk about where, um, you know, Josh and I truly feel like over the last eight years, like, you know, one of the superpowers we've been able to develop is is letting go. And, and I am totally willing to let go of making money this way. Uh, just like you are willing of letting go of making money that way, but it's something that you always want to do. And that's how I feel about it. Like, this is something I'm always going to incorporate in my life. It's something I'm always going to be passionate and excited about. And I can make money off of it. Great. But, but tomorrow I might not. Uh, but as long as I can go find, for me, it's being a barista. My definition of success is like, you know, one day, Josh, we actually might be able to be baristas. I mean, you guys, <laughs> if all this falls apart, you have that coffee shop. I know that's like our plan. That's like our plan D. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> plan the, F. I don't know if Weaver would let us work there. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't even let me touch the espresso machine. <laughs> we own a coffee shop. I'm not allowed to touch anything. You can't touch the espresso is there, machine. Is there a certain pressure when you own a coffee shop when like people come over and like, hey, let me make you a cup of coffee? Uh, it's yeah, like the expectations well, he, are, are super high. Well, well, the yeah. thing is, if you come to my house and I make you a cup of coffee, you're gonna have an awesome cup of coffee. Okay. 
Okay, that is so, true. <laughs> but the, the, the problem is a lot of people, like, because they know we own a coffee shop, they'll send us, like, bags of beans, and the intentions are always great. Yeah. But it'd be like if I wrote a song for you to say thanks for writing songs, ah, Paul. Gotcha. And and it's like, you would appreciate the, the sentiment, yeah. but it would be so bad. I can, I can play, like, four chords, man, like, really right. well. But you're not going to uh, put that song on repeat. And and so, yeah, I mean, you'd be like, okay, like, uh, thanks. like, But you, you'd have to, like, sort of soldier through the, the experience of, of <laughs> me thanking you that way. All right, I got to stop saying snippets because these are, are like full conversations from these episodes and we're, we're answering questions. And, and so uh, the next one, Ryan, was an episode that you picked mm. and it was another conversation we had with, uh, with two people. You want to talk about your other favorite episode of yeah, the year? Yeah, man. Uh, so Rob Bell and Andrew Morgan came yeah. in and Andrew Morgan, he is a director, uh, he film filmmaker. He did a film, a documentary called The True Cost which is a great documentary just about um, what the true cost is when we purchase things, what it yeah. does. Especially uh, clothes. Yeah, and, and what it does to the environment. And then uh, Rob Bell, um, I'm sure people have heard us talk about him before. He's a, kind of an ex-pastor. Um, it was interesting. We just went to see an event with him and Peter Rollins uh, a couple nights ago. Yeah. And it was, it, it was so weird because you can tell he's still a preacher of sorts. Yeah. Well, he, he, but he does it such... Go ahead. Well, he said that he reclaimed the art form of the sermon, which is yeah. fascinating. You could tell that yeah. the other night. Yeah. So, he, so like he's still a preacher of sorts. But what I really like about Rob Bell is um, he doesn't like shove religion down your throat. Uh, he doesn't... Um, you know, he doesn't get like super Jesus-y. Like he's, he's able to communicate a message of spirituality mm-hmm. and of um of religion you know of sorts but he does it in a way that isn't off-putting and that's specifically what i really liked about this episode we did because we did talk about religion but uh again another episode that was very therapeutic for me i was gonna say this was another another ryan nicodemus therapy session yeah it was great man because like being raised as uh in the watchtower and track society aka uh, jehovah's witnesses um, it was uh, it was a bit therapeutic because you know the, the dogmatics I had were very very any any time we're raised with a certain set of dogmatics it's it's very difficult to just let those go mm-hmm. and I feel like that conversation that we had with Rob and with Andrew it really helped me to um, you know maybe not let go of them but but be at peace with with you know kind of my past and being raised in in that in that religion yeah sort of loosening your grip on the the ideology that had been so heavily ingrained in your life yeah so we called this episode religion let's listen to that conversation right now our first question is from claudia in italy what is the minimalist take on religion like um is it a simple religion that you follow or um yeah, that that is really my question. Like, what is your take on religion? Do you think it's uh, pointless or uh, does it really uh, align with uh, the values that you have? Uh, that would be my question. So thank you. 
Ryan, what, what is a minimalist take on religion? I, I think it's hard for you and I to agree on religion or spirituality. I mean, that question is almost like asking, you know, what is the Christian take on religion? Or what is the Muslim take on religion? What is the human take on gravity? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> Man. Yeah, what's your opinion on gravity, Ryan? <laughs> uh, I have a theory. <laughs> <laughs> No, man. I um, you know, there are two things we don't talk about on this show, and that's religion and politics, <laughs> because Josh and I differ so much in it. But uh, I was I was telling Rob before uh, the the show here how this is like I, I really kind of like using this show as an excuse to kind of talk a little bit about religion, because uh, you know, you and I, Josh, we do have two completely different beliefs, but. What what I really think that uh, people can take away from our beliefs is that even though we do have different beliefs, we still have a very awesome friendship. We have a very awesome business. Uh, we are able to you know talk to um, and and bring a crowd of people who are Christians, Jewish, atheists, Muslim, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a very uh, diverse crowd and and i think i think maybe we could talk about it a little bit i like what you said earlier rob when i brought up religion you said no 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 let's not talk about religion you said uh what, what did you say let's talk about well what is the nature of reality what yeah. kind of world are we living in so you can say that you have very different beliefs but if i watch you closely over the past couple of years you all actually have very very similar beliefs hmm. that many people when they say beliefs what they're talking about is intellectual furniture how is your cognitive hardware arranged? Which is just intellectual assent. What do you in your rational capacities agree with or disagree with? Yeah. But there's actually the place that you live from. There's actually a much deeper seat of the being. The Greeks refer to the splankton, which is like the, the bowels, the seat of the guts, which is the place from which you actually live. Hmm. And the, the two of you actually, if you've, <laughs> if you've spent hundreds and hundreds of days on the road together and you've built a business and you spend hours together there's great mutual love and trust and respect between you then how you actually live is your beliefs are actually closely aligned yeah i think i think certainly our values are aligned i think we're maybe using the terms differently whether it's beliefs or or values ryan and i have similar values i think that's why it works like maybe we don't even use the word beliefs here we we have different personalities for sure you know ryan's the extreme extrovert i'm an introvert (laughs) um and and, and, you know we have different sort of political beliefs we voted for two different people in the last election oh my god (laughs) There were more than two people to vote for. That, but it's, that's also true. That, but it's often the case that when people are talking about beliefs, um, oftentimes underneath whatever those surface categories and labels are, mm-hmm. there is great agreement and bonds and convictions that are very, very similar. Yeah. So that's why I always, I, I always want to poke that bubble with people with like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? Because underneath the surface lots of people that would appear to be different mm. are actually much close more closely aligned so the yeah. surface can be manufactured by you know, absolutely geography yeah. or by the the community that you were you were yeah. raised in media religion yeah authority figures etc social media well uh, no i was just gonna say like when i read this question i was thinking about i was thinking about like how i grew up viewing religion so uh, I was raised Jehovah's Witness, as uh, I talked about with you on my la- on yeah. <laughs> my last podcast, on your podcast, on my w- first podcast, <laughs> yeah, on your first <laughs> podcast. Um, and what's to me like when I think about 
how I was raised um, as a Jehovah's Witness. Here, here's the narrative. It is um, you, Ryan Nicodemus, you're imperfect. Uh, Jesus died for your sins. Um, in order for you to, to be saved, you have to, uh, you have to follow these rules. Um, you have to get baptized in Jesus's name. So then that way he can forgive you for your sins. And that's, that is, um, that's the main narrative. There, there, there was nothing in, uh, that I was taught growing up with, uh, things like the environment right, right or right. things like um finances mm, right or i mean there was a time when jehovah's witnesses they were it was in the early 80s like late 70s they were predicting the end of the world and these these um sheep were and i'm not using that pejoratively i'm just you know, these people who were you know they're, they're they're they are doing what they feel is right they're going out and they they literally just got these huge loans and like just accumulated all this debt because they were like, oh, the end of the world's coming. You, I mean, in fact, the people within your tribe growing up, I mean, you absolutely. Were, this is, this is, I mean, I think this is tantamount to, to child abuse to a certain extent. You were told, you, you don't worry about college because you're never going to oh, make yeah. it to 18 years old. Oh, when I was 25 years think old. Think how I'm, that sets a child up. Yeah. I, I went to my boss at 25 and I was like, hey, our company pays for schooling. I want to go to college. Like, can you help me out? And she was like, she looked at me like, no one ever sat down with you and taught you how to like, approach a college i'm like no i have no idea what to do and it's Mm. and it is because of that but but where i'm going with this is you know the thing that really frustrates me about that upbringing is that let me unpack this this statement i gotta preface it because it's gonna sound really bad but this 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 thing of um pray to god and rely on god for everything that to me used to be my saving grace like to Mm. me that was like that 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 thought of God will take care of it. I don't need to worry about it. I love God. God loves me, and I know because of that that I can pretty much judge anyone I want to judge. I can project any you know anger that I have towards these people that I'm judging, and God's got my back. The other thing too is that it absolved me from any responsibility for things like the environment. Meaning, my my thought was, I don't have to worry about the environment because Jesus. He's going to come back. He's going to wave his his magic hands mm. and he's going to make everything better. So why would I care about the environment? Mm. And to me, um, well, there's literally, uh, it, do I got it written down here? Uh, Revelation eleven eighteen, where it talks about God ruining, destroying the people who are ruining the earth. And, and that and that scripture, as, and the only reason I know that scripture is because of being a Jehovah's Witness, because they do... Um, they do such a good job of, of using the Bible, but th- I guess there are things like that that stand out to me that really started to make me question uh, my where I was putting all of my beliefs. And I and I guess where I stand now, and I would be interested to see what you think about this. Where I stand now, or I guess where I where kind of it's not even where I stand. It's where I it's where I like am kind of settled right now. But I'm totally open to changing this. But I feel like. There are times in my life, this morning, I'm driving to work and I'm like, I'm praying. Like, I really want this to be an awesome podcast. Like, help me, help me to please make this an awesome podcast. If you're up there and you're listening, help me to make this an awesome podcast. There are other times in my life where I feel like I need to take an atheist point of view because I feel like putting everything on God and not trying to figure out something myself first 
is kind of lazy. It's kind of uh, mature and childish. Yes. So it, it now there are so many times in life where I get to a point where yeah I try and can't do it, and then and then yeah I've got to look somewhere else. Um, it's it's uh, I'm not trying to say that I am an atheist. Um, in fact, I am. I would say I'm a believer, and it's because of your book Love Wins that even made it possible for me to have this belief um because this is such a crazy i mean me saying this out loud it sounds really <laughs> radical and weird and uh, uh I, I don't know if there's anyone else out there who like agrees with me on this but it doesn't matter because this is it does come from a very loving spot it does come from uh me being very genuine yeah yeah and uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm happy to share it even though it sounds nuts am i crazy what do you think no Thank you. Uh, first off, I think you speak for <laughs> millions of people. Th- thank you. Uh, I'm so sorry you had that. It's as if the point is that we would wake up and grow up. Mm. We would grow up in our awareness of who we are and what we're doing here. That we would wake up and see our infinite connections with ourselves, with each other, with the earth, with the entire cosmos. And what you were describing is a, a giant religious machine that was impotent when it comes to the transformation of the human heart. Mm. It gave you rules, customs, rituals, fears, mm. interpretations of Revelation 11. Yeah. But what it seemed to fall completely short in is actually helping transform your heart, mm. help you be more Ryan, yeah. which is the only interesting thing. Um, to me at least. Because the, <laughs> the, the most true full Ryan is what the world needs the most of. Mm. So even going back to when people start twitching about religion, I immediately say, what in your life has no other purpose than to help grow you up, wake you up, and transform your heart? Because mm. I don't think the business world is that. I don't think academics. I don't know if entertainment has that. Mm. And historically what happened is lots of people tossed out primitive, barbaric, awful, end of the world sort of religion which they should have. Mm. But the process is they threw out an entire dimension of life, which historically its point was to help transform you, help shape you and, and grow you. Um, There's a scene in, in the film, in The Heretic, with, uh, with, with, with Pete Holmes, um, and he's talking about like, uh, it's a, it's a pretty funny met- metaphor, and I'll, I'll butcher it. But he's basically talking about getting rid of the ottoman that you didn't want in your house. <laughs> That's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is is sort of sitting there with that empty space and figuring out what you're going to fill it with. And yeah. I think what you're talking about is is jettisoning the 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 not useful or damaging side of what we've been given. But then what do we what do we, then what do we fill it with? Do we just have this void? Whether you call that a spiritual void or or just a life right. void in general? Um, uh, who's teaching us how to live a meaningful life now? Right, right. And you think about uh, we're at an emergency level with the environment. Yeah. So we need millions and millions and millions of people to wake up and grow in awareness to our endless connections with the soil mm. and that will require an opening at a deep spiritual level. It may have economic dimensions. It'll have like, hey, there is no planet B. I mean, there's like a fear, terror. You can show all the movies you want, but at some deep level, that is a spiritual question that lurks Mm. underneath everything. And to deny that dimension of it, you'll never actually get at 
the thing. You have to tap into a deep sense of stewardship and responsibility that comes. And those are all spiritual matters. And in the modern world, a lot of times, like TED Talks, don't know what to do with spirit because it can't be proven on a spreadsheet. It can't be tested in a lab. But spirit, Mm -hmm. that which is inaccessible through the five senses and yet is more real than that which you can hold in your hand, Mm -hmm. is the giant... um, for many people, it's been the elephant in the room. Well, we can't talk about spiritual things. Well, you're going to have to at yeah, some point. Eventually. But that's like also the great opportunity that we're living in. That's what's so inspiring about being alive right now. It's like <clears throat> we've spent the last decade or two decades basically deconstructing a lot of our institutional systems, our institutional beliefs. So that's not just religion. That's, you know, you think about our belief in any kind of institution. It's just decline, decline, decline. Like it's almost like we're living in a world that was built uh, half a century ago in a lot of ways. Like we're still playing out the end of a story that was yeah. started and we know we need to transition to a new one, but we don't know how to get there. So to your point, I think like there's millions of people who are in that place with religion or with anything where you're like, okay, that stuff didn't work. You know, to your point, Ryan, like that, right. that crazy didn't work at all. Right. Did a lot of damage. <laughs> but but what's left in that void when there's no no together thinking when there's no ability to look beyond as rob says the five senses and figure out like what is happening like Mm. you ever wake up and you're just kind of like really like does this mean anything or does it mean nothing yeah Yeah. and if it's possible that it means something then maybe we need to start figuring out what it looks like to tell a story that leads us where we want to go and not just into these dead ends you know and that that, like what you're describing josh is like we are in that transition. We are literally in a turning point in human history. Yeah. And you can feel it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And think about your path. You grew up in this narrow, bonkers, <laughs> to use a technical <laughs> theological term, yeah. I'm not, bonkers. This, this is not offense to any Jehovah's Witnesses no, listening out there. It's, it's yeah. nothing but love. <clears throat> but you described something that had some damaging effects. Sure. But then you turned around and you've given these big vibrant energies of yours i mean i went to that when i went to that year event in la it was like a big living room it was all of these people coming (laughs) together in the name of human community and solidarity to ask questions and talk about meaningful lives yeah so so you have in many ways it's like you're writing a wrong well you know what's funny man is i as a jehovah's witness you know what my conversion rate was rob (laughs) (laughs) you you went door to door door to door every weekend Knocking on wow. doors. Isn't, wait, this, t- isn't this fascinating? And now you're going venue to venue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except we're not trying to convert anyone, right? Um, right. I, I, mean, it, I think we're trying to share a recipe, and I, th- I think that's what, what's different now. Yes. Um, yeah. Where it's not like you must live the same way I live. It's, hey, here's a template that's worked for me, a recipe that's worked for me. I don't hope you use the same recipe. In fact, I think it's going to be difficult for you to, but maybe there's a few ingredients in that recipe you can tweeze out, you can apply to your own life, yes. you can, you know, you can add your own ingredients for taste, and then and you have your own recipe for a more meaningful yeah. life. Because my life, life looks different from his, from yours, from yours, and, and the, the reason that I think it resonates is one of the things that you guys were talking about with the film is it's quite often about asking questions uh, more so than it is giving answers, mm. right? You, you said Ryan grew up with essentially an instruction manual on, on how he's supposed to live. Um, and instead of us giving people, we're not prescriptive in that way. It's, it's saying, hey, what, what are the questions? How might my life be better with less is, is much more meaningful than here are the 30 items you're supposed to own in your collection of whatever to be happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the why to behind why, uh, uh, living a meaningful life. I think that's what we do a really good job of. 
but going back to my conversion rate so um let me, <laughs> let, let me say it another way uh i didn't save one one life when i was uh one of jehovah's witnesses um now my conversion rate is still zero um but i can't tell you how many people have come up to me in line they're like dude you don't know me i feel like you're my best friend <laughs> and you saved my life and if it was just one person who told me that it would make it all worth it but that i mean literally that is the reason why i continue to do it and i'll tell you man i have my two biggest fears of doing this my two biggest fears the first one is is that people start to think that josh and i are like jesus christ or something like that really freaks me out the second fear is is that being raised as one of jehovah's witnesses i was told that if you're not a jehovah's witness well you're being influenced by satan the devil so like i i a lot i have to look in the mirror and be like dude are you the devil like, are you being influenced by Satan? Like, I really have to face that. And I'll tell you, because of the events, because of what you witnessed, I, I, there's no way I can be doing wrong. And if I am, then then, then I guess I disagree with whoever thinks that what I'm doing is wrong, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. So for me, I guess when it comes to minimalist religion, I guess uh, there isn't there isn't one religion that Josh or I will ever say, Hey, this is the one religion that, that you should, that you should have, or these are the beliefs that you should have. I think for me, it's about what, what is it that my, my heart and my mind tell me are good morals? Like, what is it that makes me feel guilty? Because I hate feeling guilty. <laughs> so whatever makes me feel guilty, I don't do that. And whatever makes me feel like I am, being a genuine person and adding a lot of value to other people's lives, then I do that. So for anyone out there who's, you know, confused on religion, I would say start there and then maybe start to pick and choose what tribes you want to maybe be involved with. If there's a tribe at all that you want to be involved with. Andrew, I feel like that this making this film was a bit of a search for you or maybe the beginning and then the process of a search. Um, during the Q&A the other night, you were talking about how it was, in, in one way, sort of your most personal film, even though it's about Rob. Um, <laughs> but it was almost like you were searching you know, by proxy, right? And, and you had this, this proxy of, 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 um, of change, of asking different questions, questions that maybe you weren't used to. Can you talk a little bit about that, that search for you? Because it sounds to me like that's what Claudia is asking here. She's, she's yeah. also searching. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that was that was the thing for me when I met Rob. I had I had come from a background that was very um, conservative, um, very um, evangelical. Um, I'd grown away from a lot of that, and so I think when I met Rob, I was really interested in the things he was talking about because it it was fascinating to me just on like a personal level. You know, like it it was a it was a totally different way to approach some of these ideas, um, and that was super 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 interesting to me. And then also, I think uh, I, I think for me, like I, I'm just super, super interested, and this is why I, I really respect the work you guys are doing. I, I'm very interested in the ways that the stories that we believe and the stories that we're telling uh, really are sh the shaping and defining our world. And I think I had come through a period. Um, I had told some stories before this. I had done some work that was much more just on the general, like, journalistic awareness, like there are some emergencies happening on planet Earth, and if we can just get more people to know about them, then we'll inevitably create a better world. And I had sort of bumped up against the edge of that. 
So for me, it was like I'd sort of put religion through. I'd kind of put that stuff behind me. I'd sort of lean fully into this idea of there are things happening, there is suffering, there are, there are issues in front of me that I can do something about. And I think what made it interesting again was this subtle sense of, wait, how does the whole thing move forward? Mm-hmm. And what is holding it back? So bo- both on a very personal standpoint, what does it take for human beings to wake up? Like we haven't figured out how to forgive mm-hmm. our enemies. Mm-mm. We can't seem to get endless war and violence <laughs> out of circulation. Um, and and so maybe there are tools buried in some of these traditions that could help us right now. So both on an, on an individual basis, maybe there are tools that can help me make sense of the life that I find myself living. And then collectively, maybe if we're serious about moving forward, maybe if we're serious about building a more just, more humane future up ahead, then we need to stop just putting Band-Aids on. We need to start looking at what are the root causes. And certainly for me living in America, I don't think you can take, I, I don't think you can understand this country, this context, this moment we're living in without taking seriously the impact that religion has had. And you could argue for, mm. the, for the worse, for the better, irrelevant to me. It has a stranglehold on our collective moral imagination, and so for me, if that were, just became really interesting. If you were to, if you were to walk down the street, maybe not in L.A., but if you were to walk down the street, uh, there are and ask ten people, did, was Noah's Ark a real event? Is was it a real historical event? Sixty percent of the people will say yes. Hmm. So to me, that it, it, it's to your point of of how strong of a hold religion has. Well, and, and, and again, this isn't a, 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 this isn't for or against religion. We're yes. just talking about what it is. Yes. Right. <clears throat> right. I, th- I think what Rob would say is you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Noah's Ark's uh, a pretty good did, did question. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was the other thing that happened is, you know, we, we, we started making this film in 2015 and then 2016 rolled around and, and we had an election. Mm-hmm. And it was like we watched as all the knobs got turned up and and it was like religion came to the surface again. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. for better or worse, if you if you started noticing, and I was noticing just because I, I happened to be making a film, so I was watching the news in a different way. I was, and as I listened to the vocabulary, as I listened to the examples we use, as I, I listened to like our collective touchstones, you know, like mm-hmm. they are rooted in these traditions and this yeah. one tradition in particular. So I think it it instantly was like, oh, this isn't ancillary. Yeah. This cuts to the heart of this thing that we're doing. My favorite line in the in the heretic about religion, I think it was Pete Holmes, uh he said, Oh man, I'm gonna butcher this. Help me help me uh help me get this line right. But it, it's he said something along the lines of um if you really want to know like you know if you have the right religion or not, like look at uh, look at what you use your religion for. I know I'm like mm-hmm. paraphrasing this and butchering it, but it was about what does it make you do? What does it make you do? Does your religion do, is it divisive? Is it is it is it? Oh, that's what it was. Is it? Does your religion exclude you, or does it or does it include everyone? Mm-hmm. And and to me, like that is, um, is that Pete Holmes or Pete Rollins? Pete Rollins, I believe. Pete Rollins. Yeah. Too many Pete's in the Yeah, film. too many Pete's. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and yeah, but uh, uh, that to me, like that is the... Can you say that again with an Irish accent? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do an Irish accent, it, it comes across as like... Eastern European. Yeah, I don't know why, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, for, again, for, for Claudia here, 
you know, that's that's the question that I ask myself. Like with any religion, anyone who's trying to 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 because people come up to us all the time. Oh, you know, it's so nice. To, like they'll come up and give us a nudge. Like it's so nice to see two Christians going out and spread, spreading Jesus's message. <laughs> and then like you know, a few people later, they're like, man, you Did know, really? yes. Funny. And then they'll come up and they'll say, you know, to see two young men like you going around. And spreading the teachings of Buddha is so encouraging. <laughs> and, and, and you know, any religion that gets presented to me, that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, is this a, it, does this religion exclude or does it include? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that is kind of, uh, I guess, one of the main identifying marks of, of uh, my beliefs, I guess. Maybe you could have an official statement for the minimalists <laughs> is that we are trans-religious in all that we do. I love that. And we, we're, we're, we're trans-binary religious. Maybe you're, you're, you're official, like we are trans-religious. We work to create a space <laughs> where people from every tradition or no tradition feel welcome to pursue with us the issues of deepest fullness and vitality. So see, Sean, all you have to do is isolate that. Anytime <laughs> we get a question about religion, I'll, so, just, I'll have it on like the little soundboard. Yes. You have That's no good. problem with these traditions to the degree to which these traditions help shape the kinds of people. Yeah. And don't harm. Yes. And I want to be clear that minimalism is not, I don't feel like minimalism is a substitute for these things. Mm. I don't feel yeah. like, I don't feel like someone could stop being a Christian and then, you know, take up this philosophy <laughs> and still feel fulfilled. Um, I think minimalism is a tool. Well, you know, sticking with the the religious theme, look at all the, the major prophets in any religion. Like there is one major thing they all have in common and that's all living a simple life. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, I, yeah, again, I don't, think, I don't think minimalism is a supplement, but I certainly think it's a tool that could help. All right, so finally, Ryan, my, my other favorite was an episode we did early in the year after doing a bit of a social media hiatus. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of 2017, we decided, okay, let's uh, just delete all of our Instagram posts. Let's do, delete all of our tweets and mm-hmm. let's get off social media for a month. So all of January, 2018, we were just off social media. We went dark and we didn't really say anything to anyone. We posted this sort of cryptic video of, of us and static and, yeah. and then it was gone. And you know what? we didn't have an expectation other than we hope to learn something out of this month. Mm -hmm. And what we learned is that we were using social media, well, ineffectively, right? Well, I'll push back a little bit and say we were using it okay. Yeah. But that's just it. We were using it okay. We weren't weren't being as deliberate as as we are with most other things in our lives. Yeah, and, and I think that, that's a good point. So we weren't using it deliberately. And and that was evidenced by, well, sort of, you know, if I would post something to Instagram, then I would repost it to Facebook and re-repost it to Twitter and then maybe do a pinned thing on Pinterest. And you still pin stuff? <laughs> we, we do use Pinterest still. <laughs> I'm just uh, if, if you all If you all find value in that. But here's here's the key question we had to start asking is how can we use these platforms to add the most value and then the question then becomes well what is the best use of this platform we realize like hey twitter is a perfect platform for tech so no photos no um links only text we can communicate with other people and we can also post sort of words minimalist or minimal maxims and uh we, we can we can do that 
sort of through these creative constraints and it will breed more creativity by placing this constraint. And then Facebook was like, hey, people really get value from the articles we share on Facebook. Let's just share articles on Facebook. And then Instagram was like, what about, well, use Instagram for beautiful photos, right? And in Pinterest, we do uh, these sort of uh, pin boards or, or these these boards that Jessica creates with some of our, our quotes and sayings and also some beautiful architecture over there, you know, resharing some beautiful images in, in a way that people find value in. Using these platforms to the best of our ability without trying to post everything in triplicate. Yeah. And uh, does that provide some constraints? Yeah, but we're not we're not on these platforms to have some sort of ROI, mm-hmm. right? It, what's your ROI on Facebook? I don't know. It's probably close to zero dollars. Well, you know, it's funny, man. When I think about how we used social social media before we did that that month long fast, the way I looked at it was, well, some people use only Facebook, some people use only Twitter, some people use only Instagram. So maybe it made a little bit of sense to um, to kind of post everything in triplicates. Sure looking at it through that lens right but ultimately uh yeah we found a way to use it better and i i think that um you know the shotgun approach it's an approach (laughs) 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 it's definitely an approach but yeah i i'm I'm really satisfied with uh what kind of came out of that whole experiment what an interesting analogy the shotgun approach because shotguns do work to kill things but you never see anyone go to war with a shotgun right because it lacks precision. Yeah. And, and and for us, like we wanted to I mean there are trench guns, but but for all intents and purposes <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I yeah, you, yeah, you, that, yeah, you're not going to go into the battlefield and charge with a shotgun. Right. It, yeah. it just it just makes far less sense because mm-hmm. uh the lack of precision. And so yeah. what we want to do was inject some precision into what our strategy or usage was for these platforms because you're right, Ryan. Yes, there are some people who don't use Twitter, but they use Facebook. There are some people who don't use Facebook, but they use Instagram. Right. And well, that's true about anything, right? right? There, there are some people who don't X, but they do Y. Yeah. I mean, if we were if we were doing that approach, if we were still doing that approach, I mean, we'd we'd be on Yik Yak and you know all the other social TikTok. media. Yeah, TikTok. Uh, Which is just yik yak spelled backwards. Snapchat. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so wrong. <laughs> I know. All right. Anyway, here here's a conversation about social media that we recorded earlier in the year. All right. Mikey wants to know why return? Does social media actually make your life more meaningful, or is it really just a modern platform to? Advertise. He has advertising quotes there. Um, I believe I did that with my inflection. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> we, in, in the radio biz, we call that a vocal quote. <laughs> As I'm talking about inflection, Josh has his hands above his head, flexing his biceps. Like bicep. I just have one. <laughs> the other one's kind of <laughs> uh, so here's here's my pithy answer, and then we will we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. A paintbrush can create a masterpiece. A paintbrush can destroy a masterpiece. An idle paintbrush, however, does nothing at all. And so the, the thing that I would just talk about here is it, social media is a tool, and it can be both. It can be meaningful. It can also be a platform to advertise. Now, I'm going to read something really quick from Derek Sivers. A moment ago, I was talking about his book, The Mindset of Marketing Your Music, which he's reworking on. We'll put a link to it in, in the show notes. This is real quick. The, the The title of this chapter is Marketing Just Means Being Considerate. 
Don't confuse the word marketing with advertising, announcing, spamming, or giving away branded crap. Really, marketing just means being considerate. Marketing means making it easy for people to notice you, relate to you, remember you, and tell their friends about you. Marketing means listening for what people need and creating something surprisingly special for them. Marketing means getting to know people, making a deeper connection, and keeping in touch. All of these are just considerate, looking at things from the other person's point of view and doing what's best for them. A lot of musicians say, I hate marketing. So yeah, if you thought marketing meant turning off your creativity, spending lots of money, and being annoying, then it's a good thing you don't like that. Nobody likes that. Just find creative ways to be considerate. That is the best marketing. You know, it's funny. Uh, the pithy answer I wrote, I've been writing my pithy answers without looking at yours. Uh-huh. Um, because they usually, not usually, but a lot of times they just end up saying kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one influences the other. Right. Same thing happens to me when you write yours first. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, that's why you switched them around. I was always wondering why you did that. Oh, really? Yeah, because it used to be, yeah, anyway. So, uh, here's my pithy answer. A silent monk sitting in a temple converts no one. Mm. And it's it's just saying the same thing that you said, man. Um, someone who has, like a monk, like I look at a monk. I really look up to monks. They got a lot of knowledge. Um, I, I've had some meaningful conversation with monks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love talking about spirituality. I love talking about beliefs. I love talking about um, dogmatics. All the all, all that stuff. Although we don't talk about that on the show because that's 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 typical. I like having those conversations with like one or two people. Yeah, in private. <laughs> yeah, in private. I don't like having those conversations. What's well, for you? So publicly. going back to what Michelle was talking about earlier, like that's a, a line you draw. You're not gonna talk oh, about yeah. spiritual, spirituality publicly because you feel like it will take away from the greater good. It takes away from the greater It'll good. Polarize people because the tribe thing we were talking about it's, was Xander. It's divisive, and that's not uh, what I, I don't want to be divisive. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, but when I think of a monk and how much I look up to a monk and why I look up to a monk, if I think of if every single monk ever like just went to a monastery and was silent and never left the monastery, then I never would have had the opportunity to have a really cool conversation with a monk. Yeah, it wouldn't serve the greater good. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, I would argue that people who who have an amazing message or, or, or story that they really want to get out there or something that is going to add value to, to a lot of people. It's going to help in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of doing a disservice by not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And so that I think that's the point. Why, why return? Because not returning would do a disservice to our audience and the people who rely on us to to whisper amongst the noise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, David Foster Wallace has this... Uh, great quote in one of his essays he talks about you know, a guy going to a metallica concert and whistling mozart yeah and and that's what we're trying to do sometimes it feels like on social media it's pretty loud man but we're just going to come in there calmly we're going to speak softly and not everyone's going to hear us but hopefully some of you will and i think that's pretty great and I, uh, I, th- I think that, yeah, uh, uh, Mikey, we're not advertising. We, we don't do advertisements. Uh, we have done in the past, I don't think I'll do this ever again. I, uh, maybe we will, but we've done 
promoted posts on Facebook, but just to our audience. Facebook is, it's pay to play, right? And mm -hmm. so if we have, I don't know how many people follow us, half a million people on Facebook. If you want to reach all of them, Facebook isn't like, yeah, just go and post something. You can reach all of them. Mm -hmm. They make you pay to reach all of them. But we wouldn't just put up an ad to say, please target, you know, young women in Alberta who want to, you know, listen to podcasts or right. whatever. Um, but sometimes it just like, uh, we'll use MailChimp occasionally to send out newsletters, mm -hmm. uh, from, from our website. You have to pay to do that. It's not free and it's just a platform. Uh, but we don't, we, we never advertise. And, uh, so it isn't an advertisement and you need to understand the difference between marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. Marketing is being considerate as Derek Siver says, and that's what we're trying to do. The reason we return is to be considerate mm -hmm. toward our audience. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Ryan, it is Christmas time. It is Christmas Day. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Here's my added value. I'm just going to sing Christmas songs. <laughs> Great, because there, <laughs> there, there are no playlists for that. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering how many people just like just, just closed out of their podcast app right now <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I started singing. All right, well, let's let, let, maybe let's stay away from that. What has been adding value to your life? What, what, what do you think? would be good for someone to go watch today man um i always uh on christmas i usually would take uh like my grandma to the movies or something i love going to the movies on christmas because I, I love it too it's like a super slow day and uh you've got the time to kill and I, yeah, I don't know what it is man maybe because i just grew up doing it but something i love to do i would recommend uh people go see the movie green book you uh bex mariah and i we went and saw that a couple nights ago and hit me right in the feels man it was it was a great movie um the the two main characters in there uh reminded me of like caricatures of us yeah. so you've got like one gentleman who is like extremely ocd mm -hmm. uh and then you've got another guy who is just you know completely shoots from the hip and messy <laughs> extroverted extroverted yeah it was it was uh it was good for that sense too but but yeah i, I really enjoyed the movie um i don't want to give too much of it away it's basically about a, a pianist who is touring uh and it's set back in the 60s mm -hmm. and it's about his experience um on the road and then this other gentleman who would be the the ryan version so the pianist is josh he's the ocd guy <laughs> yeah and then uh there's there's the dude's driver huh. who is the opposite and it's about their their journeys on the road together yeah and and through the deep south in particular so yeah. it's pre-civil rights south uh it's 1962 i believe is when it takes place and um, Herschela ali and vigo mortensen are, are starring in this film and they, they were like they perfectly complement each other like they played the roles perfectly and i agree with you it's a radically exaggerated version of our relationship yeah but like the the it's an emotional journey in a way it's it's a feel good movie which i love for christmas yeah but it's it's also it takes you on this journey of sadness and some anger and frustration in order to get to that you have to earn the good feeling yeah that but, you feel well you know in order to have the peaks man you got to have the valleys yes indeed as yeah. i've learned over the last year right yeah. and and i think the aim is to have shorter val valleys spend less time in the valleys and uh, uh certainly less time suffering yeah. but uh that's what you learn in this movie it's it's one of those movies that 
it has these quotable lines too that that are just endearing. The 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 Ryan character played by by Viggo Mortensen, um, he has these. He reminded me so much of you because you might not always have the right word to say, but it doesn't matter because the way that you say it has all of the the feeling and emotion and heart in it. That that um, <laughs> are you talking about when he talks about Pittsburgh? <laughs> 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 that also reminded me of you for different uh, reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a great movie, Green Book. Uh, and for me, uh, if you're just sitting at home this Christmas and you're looking for something to laugh at, well, um, Trevor Noah's new special is called Son of Patricia, and it's on Netflix. And I'll tell you that it opens up with two jokes that you and I have told. Probably we've told them several times on the podcast at yeah. this point. There's a, I'm not going to ruin the jokes, but there's a joke about L.A. traffic that you'll often reference. Yes. Now, he, I'm not saying he stole these jokes from us. He certainly didn't. No. It, there's a such thing as parallel thinking. Yeah. And so um, you have this good joke about uh, about L.A. traffic. He turned it into an outstanding joke. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and, and then I have a joke about camping mm. and about growing up poor and he has a very similar joke that he uh, it's a very good joke that he turned into an outstanding joke but then from there he just kills it is funny throughout uh, bex and i watched it together and we were just cracking up the entire time you gotta watch it it's called uh, son of patricia it's cool. trevor noah's new special on netflix I'll check it out all right we can move on to right here right now it is christmas day and so i hope you enjoy your christmas if you want to comment on this episode you can do that over at youtube.com slash the minimalist. You can find a bunch of other really fun stuff over there. Quickie episodes, living room conversations, Ryan dancing to, uh, whoa, he's doing it here. Shout out to YouTube. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also, if is you the want cabbage patch still cool? <laughs> no, no, it's the running man these days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. That's back in. The 90s <laughs> are back, Ryan. Um,. Well, what else? Oh yeah, if you want, uh, if you want to uh, get the show notes in your email box, just go to theminimalists.com and uh, enter your email address at the top, and we'll send you the show notes anytime we publish a new episode. Also, any new writings from the minimalists. We do simple Sundays over at theminimalists.com, and you can get those to show up right there in your email inbox. Ryan, you got anything else for us? Yeah, man. I just want to encourage people to read more and get a get informed. <laughs> get a form get a form read more and get a form and then fill it out <laughs> no man i really like that we're uh we're saying this on every podcast now because it is so important these days to just make sure that we are informing ourselves uh with with uh with current events and it's it's too easy to just look at a meme or a headline and just take it for granted. Um, yeah, so get out there, read more, get informed. And then also, let's see what else do I got here. I got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, this is Jessica from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I was just calling with a few tips for gift giving, especially with small children. I have four children, um, ages 8, 4, 6, and 18 months. And this year is our first year of really doing a minimalistic Christmas. Um, some ideas that my husband and I have come up with for gift giving are, one, um, consumables. So anything like art or um, anything project-oriented that they can use up, even getting into the slime trend this year, um, works out really well for my kids, as well as using it as a double and giving those as gifts for their friends and their 
schoolmates, making pictures for friends. Another idea that we've done this year is um, including their favorite treat. Um, we're usually pretty healthy when it comes to our meals and the way that we nourish our bodies, but every kid wants a bag of Doritos occasionally, and since we don't give in to those wants and those needs, we do try to find a healthier option, or we even give in to, like, a snack bag of those and fill their stockings with those kinds of treats, and so they know it's a special occasion and that moderation is okay, even though it's junk food. We try not to completely restrict them so they don't go to college and gain 400 pounds when they are finally free. Another, our last idea that we really followed through and enjoyed this year, my kids have really gotten into, is creating a service project and really using donations and selling items like pictures and paintings and then buying things for children in need at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital and the cancer ward. This year we chose to buy silly socks. So my kids had decided collectively to take some of their Christmas present money and in their honor buy extra socks for the kids that need them. So there's some great ideas just in case you're looking for them, especially for small kids because they get just as much joy out of giving than they do receiving. Have a Merry Christmas. This tip is for people who have a lot of membership, loyalty, and gift cards at stores like Shoppers Optimum or Canadian Tire. Um, instead of carrying them on your keys or having a lot of cards in your wallet, which make it really heavy and clunky, you can actually digitize them in a new app called TD Wallet. Uh, I just spent a few minutes digitizing, um, I think around 30 or 35 cards, and it was really easy to do, and they have a search functionality. so. It'd be really easy to locate your card when you need them. Hi, this is Chris from Lansing, Michigan. Um, I really like your idea of getting rid of uh, things during December, and we. I wanted my daughter to partake, but of course, it's hard for a children, a child, to get rid of something, uh, especially with Christmas coming. Their, their minds are thinking about getting stuff. So the way I framed it was that she's making room for new things that Santa or her elf on the shelf sees what she has and she'll, they will, she'll probably get more if, if, if they see her with less. Um, so I hope that helps parents out there that have kids that want to join in on the fun of getting rid of stuff they no longer need. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. If y'all leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. We'll see you next year. All right, thanks for listening, y'all. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for, and you gotta grab, oh I bet that you'll be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear 